0: I was, I was thinking as we were looking at the missionary presentation this morning, and I see there's a bottle of water here, but I forgot mine down there. I've got a bit of a, a throat thing, a cold thing going on. If I don't shake your hand after church, it's because I'm afraid that I, I have something I don't want to share. So please don't hold that against me. Um, but uh, hopefully my, my voice will hold out as well, and all this nonsense won't get in the way. But I was thinking as the... As the um, The mission presentation was going on, and yes, the pastor neglected to point out all of the hard work that has been done to revitalize the bathrooms. And thank you, so many of you that contributed to that in all kinds of ways. But you know, it hadn't quite struck me that we actually remodeled, we revitalized bathrooms in India before we ever did our own. Isn't that good news? Isn't that cool to think about it that way? Now, I don't know if there's new dresses coming then for some of you as well. I thought I might be next. I'm not sure. But you probably handle that at Coles uh, or Macy's yourself. A church probably won't be involved. But, but it's good to see us out there somewhere else in the world involved in what we do for others before we turn around and try to do things for ourselves. Considering others is more important than ourselves. That's something that Jesus shows us, doesn't it? We show something of him as we step into that something else going on in our world around us. I, I was surprised. I was, I was quite shocked, actually, when I, when I um, opened my email yesterday and somebody sent me a, a, a message um, saying that uh, Chief Justice Antonin Scalia um, had been found dead, passed away. Uh, very unexpected. There wasn't any health concerns that anybody knew about. And... Uh, uh, he just went to sleep the night before, expecting to have another day tomorrow, and uh, did not. What would it be to expect to wake up and carry on with your with your day and your morning chores, and instead to wake up in the presence of the Lord Himself? And uh, you know something about uh, this particular court justice. He he was a a originalist constitutionalist. That meant uh, he, he, uh, whenever he was going to apply the Constitution to something today, he always pushed back to what did the original framers of the Constitution, what did they intend it to mean in their day? And then how does that apply then forward into, into our generation? You know, we started from the historical context. Something else very interesting about this man is though he had very firm views constitutionally, very firm views, I, w- I want to say politically because he tried to stay outside of politics and rather constitutional, and yet other justices on the, on the Supreme Court would often sharply disagree with him. That's why they have all these 5-4 rulings, right? Some believe one way, some believe the other way. They don't always agree. And yet he had the ability to have very good and long-term and abiding friendships with people that he had sharp disagreement with over very substantive things things that really mattered that they disagreed on and yet could share much of life and experience and have respect for one of one of scalia is one of the most conservative members of the bench one of his close friends was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, one of the more liberal justices on the bench. They went to opera together. They shared meals together. They genuinely enjoyed one of those company. He admired her sharp judicial mind, even as he sharply disagreed with her. What I find refreshing about that, and I think it's a teachable moment for us, I like Ginsburg's approach to the Constitution because it teaches us something about how we approach God's Word. We don't just open the, open the book and read phrases and say, what does that, what does that mean to me today? No, we press back. There's a historical context that God spoke these things in the midst of and understanding the original historical intention Understanding that helps us to know then how does that apply today? And that that bears out beautifully in the Psalm that's before us, Psalm 2 today. So the Supreme Court justice reminds us of something that's essential about our own Bible study. And also he reminds us something about our own mission. There are people in this world, there are people that are in sharp rebellion against God that'll come out in our psalm today. And yet. These are people that we're going to have sharp disagreements with on very important issues. And yet we can still be their friends. We can still be close. We can still have relationship together. We still share so much of humanity in common with others who are also made, created in the image of God, whether they know it or not. And if Scalia could have a a long and abiding friendship with Justice Ginsburg... Who is it that we can be friends with even though we differ? And in that friendship might have the privilege along the way of sharing and showing something of our Jesus with them. Amen. Father, as we open up your word this morning, Lord, as we uh, would uh, hear from you from your psalm, Lord, as the worship expressed here uh, flows into our heart, Father, would you speak to us? Would you... um, Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from Your Word. We pray it, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen. Psalm two is a is a um, interesting psalm. It's a psalm that that it's it's a conversation of sorts. And in that in that psalm conversation there are four voices and we've we've um actually approached this psalm I think about a year ago or so so I'm I'm uh, hesitant to go through all the details again uh, I just probably will do the highlights because there's another there's another direction I want to go from this psalm this morning uh, but uh, it does have four voices it has the voice of the psalmist he asks a question he looks out in the world as as the psalms so often do he looks into human experience and he says why is this and you and I do the same thing, don't we? We look at the, at the um, incongruity of what's going on around us and we say, why is it like this? How can this be? How long will it continue? The psalmist does that. And then we, we, we get the Lord of Heaven's perspective on the matter. And then we hear from the Son, who is the King, and then finally, it closes the last set of three verses. There are three, 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 and three. Three, the psalmist. Three, the Lord. Three, the Son, the King. And three final verses who, in, in a closing invitation. So the psalmist, in light of what he's heard, gives a closing invitation. So let's listen to those voices. I'll explain maybe a few things as we go. And uh, then from there, we'll, we'll um, dive in a bit further. And you'll see maybe some connection I was talking about, about Scalia and so forth. Psalms, or rather Psalm 2, uh, this will be about uh, page 448 if you're following along in a pew Bible in front of you. And uh, I'll begin in verse 1. Why do the nations rage? There's the question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain or in futility? It won't work. What won't work? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed Saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You see what's going on? There's a rebellion. It is a rebellion. And it is a rebellion against the Lord. It's a rebellion against the Lord and this one whom his, his anointed. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. It's a rebellion that involves the kings of the earth and the rulers counseling together. It involves the nation, it involves the peoples. So it is the rulers, and it's not just the rulers. It seems to be a universal human thing. Humanity against deity. The maid against their maker. Hum- humanity against God. Why do the nations rage? And, th- and then the voice in heaven. You, you get heaven's perspective on this matter. He who sits in heavens, in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. There, is, there, there comes clear both God's response, but also what the issue is. We don't want this king. We want some other rule. We want some other king. We don't want this man to rule over us. And the Lord Heaven says, no, 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 no. This is not a democracy. You don't have a vote. I have set my king on my holy hill. God is in charge, and to rebel against him is futile. And now we hear from the son. I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. I want to ask the question, who is this referred to? Who is this referring to, this son? The Lord, Yahweh, said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. I will give you the nations for an inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. Who does that remind you of? You will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And now we we return to the psalmist an invitation. This may be our invitation as well. So we say, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord, submit to him, don't rebel against him. Rejoice with trembling, with awe, with reverence, with a clear perspective that God above is the Lord of glory, is over everything. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But the closing line, I love this line Blessed are those who take refuge in him. You see, the, the uh, song, the psalm, has a historical context even as our Constitution does. It has, it has a historical reference point. We know from Acts chapter 4, it's a, this psalm is attributed to David. This is a psalm of David. It's also what's called a coronation psalm. This is a psalm that was used in the coronation ceremony of the Davidic kings. Now see, historically in Israel, when, or in any kingdom, when you have a transition from one king to another, this is a potentially unstable time. Let's go back to David. This is a psalm of David. David conquered many of the surrounding countries or the the, the surrounding nations. And he made those, those surrounding nations to be subject or to pay tribute to Israel. So as he consolidated his reign over all the surrounding territory with Jerusalem as the center... Then uh, all of these other nations, they retained their own national identity, but they paid a tribute to, they recognized David's authority over them. But now, David's old. David's dying, or maybe David has just died. And David has sons. He has more than one. Solomon is his, his, his uh, appointed heir, and yet there's another son that also wants to be king. So there's a bit of, a, of unrest. There's a bit of tension in the Davidic family of who's going to be the next king. The house is divided. Maybe the military is also divided. If you are one of those other nations, if you had been subjected by David, and now you see this instability, now you see the house of David has to, has to focus more on themselves, as to who's going to be the next king, now's your chance to break away. As you read the Old Testament history, you find this occurring over and over and over again. During times of transition, there will be a possible weakness. Remember in Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz is worried about the invasion from the north because Uzziah has just died. Uzziah was king for 50 years. He was a strong king. And now this young man is on the throne. And the surrounding Rulers know that he doesn't know what he's doing. And now is their opportunity. You see, there's politics in the Bible. It's interesting. There's, there's historical setting for what's going on. There's a historical context. And so, so in, this, in this coronation psalm, used during the coronation of the Davidic king, imagine it in the transition from, from David to Solomon. The surrounding nations are being warned, now is not the time to rebel. Now is not the time to reject the Davidic king whom God has ordained and to try to go your own way and break, break free, to cast off David or his son's cords from us, and we're going to go our own way and be free. Now is not the time to do this. God has established this thing called the Davidic covenant, and beware of, if as you resist God's king, you resist God himself. That's what's going on in the historical setting. There's a historical context. Now, the same thing was also true. Think about it. Back when David came to the throne. Saul has died and David becomes king. Now David would never strike against the king himself. Remember he had the opportunity. There Saul comes. Saul comes wandering into the very cave that David is hiding in. He's going to relieve himself there. He's at his most vulnerable. Imagine you went into those beautiful new restrooms and you didn't know that somebody who you've been trying to kill is hiding at the very back of the stall. Now, it'd be hard to do in our stalls. They're much safer than a cave. But just imagine that were the case. And while you're at your most vulnerable, caught with your pants down, there is your archenemy hiding in the shadows. That's the position Saul was in. But David would only cut a corner of his, of his, um, of his uh, coat, his, his, his cloak, off to prove that he'd been right there, he'd been that close. But David would not touch the Lord's anointed. Saul was God's problem to sort out. David wouldn't have a hand in it. David would trust God to work that out. David had been told by God through the prophet Samuel that he would be king, but that would be on God's time and terms, not on David's time and terms. He trusted himself to God and that made these other situations much easier to bear, much easier to hold up in. So a historical context, now what if Saul had trusted God the way that David did? What if Saul also trusted? Why is it that Saul is out trying to kill the one whom God has said is going to be the next king? He's trying to preserve this for his own son. He's trying to advance his own agenda. He's trying to work things out in the world the way that he thinks they ought to be instead of the way that God has said they would be. What if Saul had trusted God instead of by warring against David, by trying to advance his own agenda, by trying to protect himself and his own family? What is Saul doing? Saul is actually warring against God himself. It ends up costing him his life. And he dies a a broken king, a rejected king. He dies a king that has been humiliated before God, and God's blessing was removed from him. Why do the nations rage? The peoples of the earth plot a vain thing against the Lord. There's, there's some application here that if, if Saul had trusted God instead, if, if people would trust God instead of asserting their own way, um, God also seems to care somewhat about politics. God cares about what goes on in the Affairs of the earth and how it is that humanity who have been made in the image of God, how is it that we represent God in our rule over the earth? God seems to care something about that. I'm going to leave that for now. There is a historical context, okay? Okay. The historical context is the Davidic king, a new king, ascends to the throne. Don't rebel against him because this is still God's king. God has set through the Davidic covenant that from David to David's son, and some of David's sons were wicked and evil, and they did not follow God, and there were bad consequences for that. And yet God's plan is still through those Davidic sons because there is another son of David coming. And that's also who the psalm points to. The psalm seems to say more than David. It's about more than David. It's about a son who is greater than David's sons could ever be. And that is who we hear echoes of. When the Lord says that I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then we hear that son, that son king talking. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today have I begotten you. And that's true of Jesus more than any other. Jesus was the uniquely begotten Son of God in ways that none of the rest of us could ever be. Jesus was God's own Son. Ask of me and I will give the nations your heritage. All the nations, not just some of them, not just some of them are there around the Middle East, but all of the world will be subject to the King of kings and the Lord of lords the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's exactly how the Lord's rule is described. And I don't want you to think of Jesus' rule as being brutal and violent. I want you to think of that iron rod in contrast to a potter's vessel versus one is strong and what is not. One endures and one does not. One is unbreakable. One cannot last. That's the contrast. So why, why would we, who are weak and feeble in ourselves, we cannot keep ourselves, why would we rebel and resist the strong king who not only will keep and hold his reign, but the one who can also keep us The Lord Jesus is marked out as, this is my beloved son at his baptism. He's marked out as, this is my son, hear him at his transfiguration. He is is marked out as the son of God through the resurrection from the dead. He's marked out by his resurrection as God's great high priest and God's own son. The sonship in Hebrews 1 marks God out, or, or, or rather marks Jesus out as even greater than the angels. Because to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you. There's nobody like Jesus. There is none like you. Now God is not eager to judge, and yet God has set his son on his holy hill. God has set his king. And he will not suffer, he will not tolerate rebellion forever. He will not allow his son. To be mocked forever. God is giving time. That's one of the things the psalm says. There's, there's time, there's opportunity here. While the dust settles, choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where will our loyalties lie? Who will I serve? Will I insist on my own way? Will I shake my fist at heaven and say, you are not the boss of me? Or will I say, the Lord is my life and my salvation? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, there's historical context. There's a theological context here in the psalm. Theologically, it's about Jesus. And it's about not resisting him. It's about instead trusting the son, kissing the son, submitting to the son. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. It's also, there's an application in the psalm to us. The psalm applies to us in Christ. We are. What's true about Jesus in the psalm is somewhat true about us. We are begotten again by God. First Peter told us that in that series. That unless a man is born again, he cannot, by the Spirit of God, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. We have been born again. We have been begotten again by the Spirit of God. God is our Father. We are called, in 1 John 3, we are called sons of God. Now, ladies, don't get hung up on the gender of that. We are, we are all together in Jesus given a right as sonship that we are identified with him. We have a standing before God in Jesus. So what is true about the son is true for us, and we are heirs of God, then we are joint heirs with Christ. We are told in 1 Timothy 2 and in the book of Revelation chapter 20 that we will reign with him, that he will reign. And because he will reign, we will reign with him. So the psalm has history in David. The psalm has theology in Jesus, and the psalm has application for us. It speaks to us certainly about our future. It speaks to us about the realities of the day, of who is really in charge, no matter how the nations rage. But there's something else about this for us. This psalm explains our experience today. Because the psalm is true about Jesus and because the psalm is true about humanity, it explains what's going on in the midst of the day today. We experience what the church has experienced ever since the day of Christ. Why did Rome so oppose Christians who in so many ways were model citizens at the time? They were the best thing for society at the time and yet Rome opposed them. Why? Well, it's the same reason that Herod killed those babies after Jesus' birth, to preserve his own reign, to preserve his own power instead of somebody else being the boss of him. The same reason the leaders rejected Jesus. What did they say? We will not have this man rule over us. We would rather have Caesar. We'll have no king but Caesar. We'd rather have a king, a man of our own making, rather than have this Jesus rule over us. That was what they cried out at the time. Why is society so opposed to Christianity today? You know, when the society in its own ethic is closer to biblical Christianity. And I didn't say when the society is a Christian society. I said the society in its collective ethic or its collective morals, is closer to the expression of of morals that aligns with biblical Christianity, when they are closer, when what society as a rule thinks is right for themselves is closer aligned with what the Bible says for a variety of historical reasons, then there seems to be less conflict. They hold to, as, as Paul tells Timothy, a form of godliness even if they deny its power. They still they like to use the Bible as a quote book and, and, and so forth. It's a point of reference, even if it's not our absolute authority, but we're in agreement and there's less obvious tension. But when society's ethic begins to change, when society's morals begin to differ from the moral, the ethic, the expectations on humanity that the Bible expresses from a sovereign God, then the tension increases. And then it's our way, or God's way and it becomes all the more evident. And the 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 good thing about that is it's a time to choose. It's a time to make a clear choice where before you can kind of go along with the flow and you don't know, are you are you going with the flow because that's the flow of culture and it's safe and it's comfortable, or is this a matter of faith because I will honor and please and follow the Lord. I will submit to him instead, even if others rebel against him. Well now we're in a day. That the nations rage. Now we're in a day where our own society has become less comfortable, so that there's a choice to be made. The, The rebellion of humanity is more obvious in our own near experience than it has been in the past, and that's a healthy thing for us because it causes us to choose Whom shall I fear? Will I fear voices around me or will I fear God Himself? Will I follow voices around me? Will I follow God himself? Will I honor voices around me or will I honor God himself? Whom shall I fear? This is the day that the choice is clearer to us and that itself is not a spiritually bad thing. That's a healthy thing for us as a church. It's a healthy thing for us because we live in the day of Joshua again. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whom you will fear. So Psalm 2 is also our experience today. Whether you're younger or older, don't be surprised when people around you are rejecting God's authority or they ridicule the idea of accountability to God. Psalm 1 warned us against this. Psalm 1 warned us not to not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scoffers because they will be there. And it urges us against them because there's a king to serve, there's a king to follow and his name is Jesus. We, we are in an area of godlessness that casts off any restraint that wants to make ourselves our own God to do as we please. And don't be surprised. So this psalm explains human behavior. It warns us of that rebellion. And that's helpful. It's a helpful thing for us to understand that humanity in general is in rebellion against God. And society in particular is rebelling against God's authority over them. They want to be their own boss. You are not the boss of me. That's a helpful thing. But it's a fruitful thing for us to also realize and to watch out for the fact that we too can rebel against God's authority in our life. There's something about what is true for all humanity that we look out there and we see in us. There's something true about that that is also true about me. It's not only out there; it's also in me. I don't want to be a church that spends all of our time talking about those people out there. You see, our 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 identity statement says that we are a a family of God. We are God's family. We are being transformed by His truth. We're not so we're not so much concerned about what other people are doing as compared to what what we are doing, how we are following our Lord How look what God is saying to us God has something to say to them as well what he has to say to them is that invitation that, that is at the end of this psalm it's the same thing he has to say to us but how do we step into that how do we live in that in ways that allow us to extend that invitation to others you see there's something about this rebellion that the psalm warns against that is not only out there, it's also in here. I got to thinking about this question that the psalm opens with. We have a morning Bible study on on Monday mornings, and I pose this question to the group. Why is it that the nations rage? Why is it that people say, God, I don't want... What's wrong with God? What's wrong with Him that they, they don't want Him to rule over them? They don't want Him to be the boss of them. Let's think out there just for a moment. We're going to come back in, don't worry. But let's think out there for a moment. Why is it in your experience that people do not want God to rule over them? We brainstormed a little bit. First of all, sin, going contrary to God, not following God, but going my own way, sin seems fun. There's pleasure in sin for a season, the, the Scripture tells us. Things that God has told me not to do, but it seems like I would enjoy that. Which tends me to cause me to think then that God is withholding something from me. There's, there's the experience in the garden, right? There's all these trees. There's just the one, just the one stay away from. And the enemy comes along and says, you know what's going on with that one? God's withholding something good. God knows that if you, you in fact, you would even be like him. Yeah, God knows good and evil. He knows of evil, and God would have his children innocent, just as you parents. You parents want your children to be innocent of evil. There are many evil things that go on in this world that you never want your children to know by experience. How many of you who are, who are, who, who, who are parents, whether your kids are, are, are older or younger, how many of you have seen or experienced something in, in human life that you wish your children never experienced or knew about? Yeah, of course. We want our children to be innocent of those things. There's things they don't ever need to know. And God sees it the same way for his children. That's what innocent of, there's no, there a knowledge of evil, an experiential knowledge of evil that God never wanted us to know, but now we know. It hasn't made us more like God, it's actually made us less like God. It's made us, us uh, follow after. Follow after evil and sin instead of following after God. God. We think God is withholder. People tend to think God is withholding. God They're going to keep something from me. We think that there's a, I'm, I have a legitimate need that I'm seeking to fulfill, and I can do this my way. I can rely on myself to fulfill myself in some legitimate need, or I think it's a legitimate need. We don't trust God to meet the needs that we really have. It's um, to, to rely on myself, to insist on my way of fulfilling a need, even if it seems legitimate, to rely on my own way of fulfilling it, if it violates God, is to say that I don't trust God to meet that need. Humanity in general wants freedom from God's confinement. My way. I want to be me. I want to do what I want to do. I want to have what I want to have. I want it my way. I will choose things. I, I will even choose a church based on what I want to get out of that church. I will choose my activities. I'll choose my friends out of what they I get out of them, what they contribute to me. Also, we are herd animals. We easily, too easily join the herd. We easily, too easily follow the crowd, even when the crowd is wrong. When the crowd is moving in rebellion, we easily, that's why Psalm, Psalm 1 warned us against them. Don't, don't listen to the advice of the ungodly, those who aren't following God. Don't, don't go the same way. Don't follow the same directions as those who are sinning, transgressing, violating God's way. Don't, don't sit with, don't participate with the, those who scoff God and his authority. Because we easily do. So when I read those questions, why do the nations rage... It gives me insight. Because not only is it the nations raging, I said that we have that same within us, right? Romans 7 says that the very thing I want to do, I don't do. In fact, Romans 7 verse 18, it says this, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right. I want to do right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, But the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. We are fallen people in a fallen world. We continue to fall into sin. This is part of our brokenness. We are continually tempted. And how will I follow the Lord when I'm continually tempted and continually drawn aside? Things within me want something else. Or I want to fulfill it on my own terms. The reason that the nations rage it's helpful for me to understand what's going on out there. But it's fruitful for me to understand what's going on in here. Because understanding the rebellion that can rise up in here is how I can instead resist that rebellion. I can pull it out at in, 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 in its early stages. And I can rather bear fruit to God instead. It's helpful to know what's going on out there. It's fruitful to know. What's going on in here? As fallen people in a fallen world, we share in Christ's new covenant in his deliverance from sin's power over us. That doesn't mean it doesn't keep calling. It doesn't mean that it doesn't keep knocking on the door. It still tries. It whispers in our ear, just like the serpent did in the garden. God is withholding something from you. God is making you miss out on something good. God just wants you to sacrifice a little, but it's a good thing. Why should you sacrifice that? That voice inside your head might say. It's not a big deal. What difference could one little bite make? I'm not really going to disobey, okay? There's a line out here somewhere that I'm not going to cross, but I'm going to move closer to it and I'm going to move closer to it. And as I entertain that idol in my mind, even though I'm going to keep myself on some moral standard that I have fixed for myself, I've already determined to transgress what God said not to do or just was not for me. You see, those lines might be different for you than they are for me. give you an example. Alcohol, drinking. Some of you have, don't, don't have any, 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 um, any, any conviction from God that, that um, it's wrong for you to drink uh, wine of glass. You're going you're to take your sweetie out for a Valentine's dinner maybe tonight, and you're going to have a nice steak, and maybe you're going to have a nice red with that steak. And I'm, I, I'm not going to tell you that there's something biblically wrong with that for you. There is something wrong with that for me in a matter of my own conscience the conviction before god that that is not for me the bible doesn't tell you not to drink wine the bible tells you not to be drunk with wine so after seven or eight folks we got a problem okay so don't have too big of a piece of steak but so even if if the line is not a clear universal line for everybody biblically it may already be a line that i've crossed for me you see I already have rebelled against God's will for me. Even though I'm telling myself I'm I'm keeping some moral standard. Oh God, I'm only going to look. I'm not going to touch. But Jesus says, if you look at her with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery with her. You see? So we, we, we think, I'm just going to dabble a little bit. I'll be back soon. I'm just looking at pictures. I didn't actually do anything with anybody. Jesus said long before our digital age, he already addressed what's in our heart. Now we'll rationalize. We'll say that Jesus is just an impossible standard, right? Jesus is nitpicking. But maybe Jesus cares more about protecting my heart than I do. Maybe that's what's really going on. You're tempted to go along with others. You don't want to be outcast. You want to be part of the group. You want to be part of the crowd. We're made like that. We are social people. God made us social people to have relationship with one another, even as he has relationship within the Trinity and he has relationship with us. He made us for that. And even the relationship that we want to still have with others and even those who are outside his grace, we want to have relationship with them, but that should be redeeming relationship. It shouldn't be a relationship that draws you down. It should be a relationship by which you reach out and pull somebody else up, even as you have been lifted. Mm. My wife and I were in target last Saturday we were I, f- I forget even now what we ran out to get an, uh, out on an errand to look for, but we were in target, and I had to smile. You've seen this before. There was this little girl, and she was hollering. She was screaming. She wanted something, and, and Dad wasn't giving in. And you could just see the other, the other parents as Dad was holding his daughter's arm firmly and helping her to walk and stay on her feet as they made their way down their aisle and toward the front exits and eventually out the door. And what I really appreciated was the, was the understanding smile on Dad's face. He didn't lose his cool over the process, which is probably very helpful to his daughter. Because as she continued to holler, as she continued her little tantrum, it was a half-hearted tantrum because she already knew it wasn't going to work. It wasn't getting her what she wanted. She didn't have this look of terror on her face either, like something just horrible was about to happen to her. He was just removing her from the store, and it just that, that firm, it reminded me perhaps of how our God deals with us. It's wonderful to see that we play out like that in, in humanity, that God lovingly but firmly sometimes takes us in the midst of our tantrum out of the store. And maybe he's going to discipline us, maybe not. Maybe he's just going to remove us from that thing that so distracted us that caused us to rage even against him. Maybe it's because I have a defective view of God. Maybe I don't think about God rightly, and that's why I don't trust him to meet my needs and to provide what what is really best for me. Maybe I don't trust God, and that's why I rage. How can I fix that? How can I change that defective value, that defective view in me if I treasure the wrong things and I don't rightly treasure God and don't rightly understand his love for me? Doesn't that push us back to Psalm 1? Blessed is the one who does what? whose delight is in the law of God, in that creator who redeemed him and, and who is worthy of our worship and can be trusted because he has brought us into covenant relationship with him and in his law, in God's word, in God's revelation of himself, he meditates day and night. Maybe that's where, maybe even in these psalms, if I will soak in this psalm, if I will take God's word into my heart and meditate on it there, maybe that's where I'll feed my soul on a right view of God that will lead my soul in trusting Him. Because that's the issue of the day. Whom will I fear? Whom will I choose? Will I rebel against God? Or will I resist the urge of the crowd around me? And will I rather... Trust him. Will I resist God? Will I rebel against God? Or will I find my refuge in him? Psalm 1 said, blessed is the one who does. Psalm 2 closes. Blessed is the one who does one simple thing. Blessed are all. See how invitational that is? It doesn't say just somebody. Blessed are all. In here, out there. Blessed are all. All who will take their refuge in him. How do we do that? One of the ways we do that, we take refuge in him even from our own guilt is by confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. You know you rebellion, you know you're raging. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what our God will do. Our God has delighted to reconcile himself back to us through Jesus who died in our place. What more could he give us? And so he urges us, be ye reconciled to God. God has made the way. God has opened the door. Maybe you're here this morning and you're still in rebellion. You say, I just want my way. I'm somewhat comfortable with this whole Christianity thing. I'll go along with it, but really when push comes to shove, I want my way. And I want to know that God's way is going to line up with my way before I really sign up. But I can tell you right now, it won't. It won't. God has your very best at heart, in his own heart. He loves you that much, but his way for you will not be your way because your way on our own is destructive. I know mine is. God has much better than your way. But you only find that if you'll trust Him. You only find that if, as the psalmist says, kiss the Son. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him, who who will say, Yes, through Jesus, I will be reconciled to God. I will be reconciled instead of resist. I will take refuge instead of rebel. I don't want to join the nation's rage. I rather want to find refuge in the God who loved me and gave himself for me. The God who alone can satisfy. I want to take a, a few moments and pray now. And I want to offer the chance to pray first, first just, just, just quietly that it might be something big, it might be something small, but I suspect there's a point of raging or rebellion. You maybe wouldn't have called it that before. But there's something where you've held back from God and said, this bit is mine. And that's rebellion against him. God, you'll be the boss of me mostly, but you won't be the boss of me in this. I want to invite you today to take that and say, God, I will trust you with this too. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Some seeming insecurity, some worry, some anxiety that you have got to work out for yourself, you think. But you need to leave that with him. Some pet sin, some fun that you think, God would not allow this, but it's really generally harmless, so I'm going to hold on to this for myself anyway. And yet God would have you let go of that just to take the next step. It might be something that's innocent, fairly innocent and, and isn't, isn't, isn't forbidden for somebody else. And yet for you, this is some place God wants you to draw the line just because he wants to show you that you can indeed... Trust him. Let's just, for a moment, let's pray. The Father of this thing. Lord, we'll say the same thing as you. That's what confession is. We will confess to you then that this that I've held in my own heart, this too belongs to you. Lord, I confess that you are worthy. I can trust my soul to you. I can also then trust my fulfillment to you. Lord, would you help us then to present ourselves as a sacrifice of worship? This offering that we're going to receive, Father, would this be our trusting you for our own needs that we can give freely for the needs of others. Father, would you use it and do far beyond what we would ask or think? Would you invite others into the refuge of your Son? And Father, would you... Lord, I voice this for each one of us here who know Jesus as Savior. Lord, would you use me to extend that invitation? We thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are the one that satisfies our soul.